Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello. How are you doing today? Good. It's good to hear that. Well, if it's your first time here at New Beginnings, we're glad you're here. Hope it's not your last time with us. Uh, we have a good uh, group of people here. And uh, my name is Jim Del Campo, and I am the senior pastor here. Today we're going to conclude a four-week series on effective Christianity uh, with the title today of Who Will Win? Now, before I share on this, um, let me just point you towards next Sunday. Uh, as I shared last week, if you were here, I shared that I'm going to start a series called Cycle Breaker, Cycle Maker. And I've used that term here and there the last so many years. Uh, it's a very, I don't know where I got it, I don't know, God dropped it, I don't know where, but it's something that I've patterned so much after, breaking old cycles and making new cycles better in my life. And this series I'm going to begin next week, I... Um, I, I, I asked you last week to be praying for me because it was somewhat overwhelming because I'm taking uh, about 32 years worth of thinking and notes and, and I have files that I've stashed away and all the different nuances in Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of man and how it affects the way you and I and every human on this planet relates to each other. Um, I'm going to take my own life within all these nuances and illustrations and I'm going to um, give you uh, some things that I went through. Um, some of it, you'll be like, you? Yeah, me. And uh, to try to give um, application to everything. I, had a, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, yesterday, and uh, my friend up in the Bay Area, and, he, and it was just a different conversation, but he, he asked me out of the blue, he said, do you ever, um, you ever reminisce about the past? I go, because he reminisces a lot. I mean, he goes back to junior high. I'm thinking, you're going back to like the late 60s, man. And so um, he says, do you do that? I go, uh, not really. Um, but what I do uh, very frequently is I will think back to uh, my formative years and try to see why or how that molded me to become the person I am today, specifically in a, in a broken sense. Because I, I knew when I came to Christ, I knew beforehand, I started to see I was a really broken guy. I didn't use those terms I, that I use now. But I knew I had a lot of relational problems. I just knew it. There's certain things that were happening in my life. And so when I came to Christ, it took about 10 years before I finally started to take a hard look at myself um, and really try to deal with me. So, for 30, so by the time I had age 33, 32 years ago, I, um, I really started to really uh, uh, buckle down and say, okay, I, I got to deal with, with myself. I got to deal with these issues in my life. And that might be another reason besides biblical reason why all this stuff out there, nobody wants to seem to take responsibility. Everybody's a victim. It's everybody else's fault. Maybe that's why that bothers me so much because we're called to take responsibility for ourselves. And so, um, but I, I, I've been brutally honest with myself. And I'm going to share all these things. It's going to last eight to ten weeks. Next Sunday is, the, is kind of the foundation piece of it all. And then each week will be a, a pillar, some specific area. And it will relate, trust me, on a relational level, on whatever the relationships are. And it's a great time to invite somebody uh, to uh, the fellowship and maybe grow and learn some things as we go along. It's just my goal to enlighten you to bring things to the surface so we can do something about it and fix some of the broken pieces of our life. Amen, everybody, on that one? So that, that's just my goal right there. So today I'm going to talk about who will win. And if you're, it's your first time today, um, uh, I, let me just say a few things before I get into this because so it'll make sense. This series was going to be titled uh, The Other Side of COVID. Um, and, and, and thus, that's why the first week I... I said, you know, they masked us where, and it doesn't matter to me whether you wear a mask or not. That's your decision. Everybody respect each other's decision. It doesn't matter to me. Um, and so, um, 
you know, they mass us, but that caused us to be quiet. You'd go to places and you'd notice it was really quiet. Nobody talked. And yet we're called to be a voice for God. Amen? And share. So we wonder how many opportunities to share faith were lost in, those, in that season. And then I talked about, second week was uh, the distancing. They distance us. And yet we're called to fellowship with each other. We're called to come together. You, you, you could not, you can't avoid that reality in this Bible. It's all over the place. And yet we're called to separate and, um, and isolate and alcoholism rose and suicide rose and depression rose because we're not called to be alone, not at all. Uh, and then the third week, last week, I talked about fear because they did use fear to, to do this and to keep us in these places. And um, nowhere in the scriptures am I called to fear. I'm not. I'm not called to have fear. And the two verses specifically I used last week, and I said in 1 John 4.18, the Apostle John writes, there's no fear in love, but perfect love, and we have God's perfect love, casts out all fear, because fear involves punishment. See, there's a fear that something bad's going to happen to me, therefore I'm going to walk in fear. I'm not going to walk in that. I'm not called to walk in that. And I used the, the scripture that Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, he says... Um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound, prioritized mind. Not an erratic mind, not a freaking out mind, but we have a clear mind. He hasn't given me that kind of a spirit of fear, but he's given me this kind of a spirit that I can walk clear-minded in full confidence. And so uh, the underlying root of all of that is that you know, I, I, and I've said the statement multiple times now that we act like death just showed up last year, like that was a possibility. It's always been a possibility, right? It's always there. It's coming, coming for all of us. But the answer to all of it for the believer, the follower of Christ is, did Jesus conquer death? Yes or no? Yes, he did. He conquered it. 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 55. He conquers death. Um, and, uh, and when he rose from the dead, and so, if you put your faith in Christ, you will live eternally in the right place. And so, I'm not, I don't need to be afraid of death because my body is going to die out and give way whatever age that's going to be. Because I know where I'm going. And I know the greater reality. The greater reality is the reality of the spiritual realm in God. Amen? And if I put all my stock in this realm, well, I'm going to walk in fear. That's just what I'm going to do. Because I'm going to think this is all there is. But I'm not going to do that. And so those are the things leading up to today. And today I want to finalize it all with this idea of who will win. I'm going to begin with our key verse for the series. I typically, not exclusively, next, next series I will not have a key verse, but typically I will use a verse every week as um, kind of a guidepost. And I want to begin with that verse that we've looked at three weeks in a row. It's a Jesus statement to Peter in Caesarea Philippi. We will read this again in point two, and I will expand it wider. But I will do what I've done every week right now. And I want you to read with me. Everyone in this room, Matthew 16, 18 says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, let me back up. I need to say something also. For those of you who don't know me, first time here, and you might think, well, you're really callous towards COVID. Stop, okay? Everybody in this room who comes here knows that my wife was hit with COVID. My whole family was. Uh, I got a real mild case. It aches and a little bit of temperature. But my wife was hit hard. I carried her to the car. She doesn't even remember it. Her fever was 104.9. Her breathing was shallow. She wasn't making sense. And we had to get her to the hospital. She was in there 11 days came out with oxygen. She'd been seven months recovering from the long-term symptoms of it, and they're almost done now. But um, So I know firsthand that it affects a small amount of people very, very badly. So I'm not insensitive to that whatsoever because I have lived it firsthand. I've seen it, okay? I had to do all the housework during that time, okay? <laughs> That's painful enough, but... And I want to say once again, thank you so many of you that when my wife came home from the hospital, all the food, all the food certificates you gave us to go eat so my wife wouldn't have to wait on me with the fan at that time. And so, no, I'm just jo I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay. So thank you. But let's get back to this. Uh, Jesus made that statement in Matthew 16, 18. And when he says, you are Peter, um, because Peter's name was Simon. 
But he names him Peter, changes his name because Peter has just got the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus' last name is not Christ, okay? Christ is a title. Um, but he says, you are Peter. Peter means a stone. A stone. Peter's not the first pope. Peter, and by the way, popes didn't come to hundreds of years later, and Peter in the Gospels has a mother-in-law, which means he was married. Popes aren't married. He was married. But he's not the first pope at all. So, but he's a stone. He says, you are Peter. And then he says, upon this rock. Now the word rock is the idea of a bunch of stones coming together to form a giant slab. Now you begin to see the picture Jesus is painting of people to coming together in Christ to form this massive rock. Then he says, you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. The word church, this Greek word, cool word, ecclesia, it's the idea of people called out or called for a, uh, uh, for a specific purpose. See, the church is a movement. Our problem is we think church is a meeting place. It's not. This building is just a building. But once we start thinking the church is a meeting place, or think the church is, yeah, a meeting place, we lose the movement. You and I, as followers of Christ, we are the church, right? We are a movement of people coming together to do something. What are we called to do? Jesus says, build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, no matter how bad it looks out there, the church will always win and always survive. If you don't believe me, go home, Google the Colosseum all around it, and you will see there's a cross on the outside entryway of the Colosseum. The Romans tried to kill off Christianity. Did they win? No. There's a cross there now. Christianity will always win, it will always thrive, and it will always thrive in the most harsh times because it wakes us up. Because someone once said a long time ago, Christians are like tea bags. Ain't no good till they get in some hot water, my friends. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you've got to make a decision to live for Christ or not. I haven't used that one in decades, man. But anyway, it was worth it. But when Jesus says you'll drive back the gates of hell coming together as a group, the word gates is a very instrumental word specific because in the Old Testament antiquity, um, the, the gate was the area where all the civil leaders came together and they made decisions. They made governmental decisions for that city. So it's the place of authority. So Jesus is basically saying the authority of hell and the power of Satan will not overpower the church. But specifically saying when we come together, when we form a movement, when we jump in and work together actively, we'll drive back the gates of hell. Which conversely then is true also that if we're not as an individual person jumping in actively involved, if we're just separating, isolating, and not really doing anything, then guess what? Hell has the possibility of driving back the church, right? Right? Okay, good. So we need to be connected. Um, now, oh gosh, it's a while back now, but I've watched a few things and read a few things that they are now saying that because of the pandemic, um, uh, millions of people are not, gonna, are not coming back to their fellowships. Millions. And that's true. That's true. Um, and there are many, many churches that closed down during the pandemic. They're not coming back. They're closed for good. I, I'm one that, you know, I'm older now, so you can say, oh, that's not true. Okay, I'm older now. I've watched enough. I don't care who your politicians are. They never wished a good crisis. Uh, but Satan doesn't either. He'll always use a crisis. And he used us so strategically to shut us down, not speak, to separate us, to put fear in us, and to try to close down the church. Very, very smart strategic action. So my question is, with all these facts in, who's going to win? If Jesus says we're going to drive back the gates of hell, but if we're not coming together, if we're going to go with all the rhetoric out there and all the dialogue and all this and that, well, who's going to win? Because we're a, the local church is the hope of the world, guys, and this is that simple. And you, you, better, you better take that one to the bank. Now, Ma Matthew says this in Matthew 9.9. Now, Matthew writes this. He's writing back, thinking over how everything happened. Put Matthew 9.9 up on the screen. Watch this. 
Matthew becomes one of the disciples, but he was a tax collector. He's a Jewish man, and if you're a tax collector, you work for the Romans because the Romans are in power. So therefore, the fellow Jews, they hate you, and your only friends are other tax collectors. Watch what Matthew writes. He said, And Jesus went on from there and saw a man called Matthew. Now Matthew's writing this about himself. Sitting in the tax collector's booth, because they would have these booths strategically stationed different spots to collect taxes for the Romans, and the tax collector would add more to it, skim off it, take what he wants. Romans didn't care. This is just, just give us the tax we want. And so that's what he'd do. It said, and he said to him, here's what Jesus says to Matthew. Follow me. And he, Matthew, got up and followed him. Now, here's what I like about what Matthew writes. Do you read in there that Matthew said, okay, I'll follow? Do you read that? No. Do you read in there Matthew goes, finally, somebody tells me to follow? No. Jesus said, follow me. Matthew, no dialogue, no words. He just gets up, leaves the tax booth behind, and follows Jesus. That's what a disciple is all about. In that little nutshell, a disciple of Christ is someone who is willing to follow Christ at all costs. To leave behind the old ways, go ahead. I'm not telling you to quit your job. Don't go and say, Jim said quit my job. That's not what I'm telling you. But you're willing in your heart to say, Jesus, tell me what to do. Tell me how to jump on this collective thing called the church and be part of this program to drive back the gates of hell. See, I think in the dark, upside-down times we live in now, and there's always been dark, upside-down times, and right now it's really upside-down as they're trying to destroy the moral fabric of what's been built upon the foundation of scriptures in our country. You may say, that's not true. Okay, I don't know where you're living. Um, but in these dark times, Jesus is still looking for disciples who are willing to say, I'll follow you no matter what. And I'll go 100% all the way with you. And that's what Matthew's laying out right there. So today, we're going to look at who's going to win because it really depends on disciples. The pandemic I think it really separated who's a Christian and who's a follower of Christ. Because I can be a Christian going to heaven, believe, but a follower denotes action and movement, activity, and I'm following Christ. What he says goes. Does that make sense? And I think it, it really separated the line, made a line right there. So typically I have that tagline, but I'm going to use the tagline as the top template for the two points today. I don't have three points, I have two, but don't worry, you're going to get your money's worth, okay? Now, tagline is this, template. How to live effective faith in a defective world. One, two, three. Here we go. Number one today is do not get comfortable in your faith. Do not get comfortable in your faith. Now, I like to get comfortable in life, period. After work, I like to relax, kick back. I like now that some of those theaters have those big reclining chairs. Anybody like those? That's pretty nice, huh? Why didn't they have that when I was growing up, right? Now, all of a sudden, you young people get everything that we didn't have. Man, I remember we used to just watch TV. We used to have to carve on stone every... I'm joking, I'm joking. But I like comfort. But comfort is a good part of life. But you also have to go to work and take responsibility. Those are other parts. Same is true in our spiritual life. God wants us to rest. God wants us to relax. But He also wants us actively involved in the kingdom of God and take active roles in doing something for Jesus Christ. Any amens on that? Now, so, <clears throat> we're going to read about a church um, in Laodicea found in Revelation that Jesus, um, he doesn't seem too happy with, okay? And this is Jesus speaking. This is his words. And they're kind of comfortable. Now, they are comfortable. So, let's go to Revelation chapter 3 if you have your Bibles or your phone or whatever it is. Um, and I'm going to read these verses 14 through 20. And then I'm going to go back and comment on these things. Here it goes. This is Jesus speaking to these church people at this place called Laodicea. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful, and true witness, the beginning. Now, beginning doesn't mean Jesus had a beginning. It means he's the ruler and he's the source. He's the originator of the church there. The beginning of the creation of God says this. I know your deeds. Does, God, does Jesus know everything about us? You better believe it, man. 
That, now, that's either the, the best news you've ever heard or the worst news you've ever heard, okay? <clears throat> I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Like, make a decision. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, spit you is the idea in the Greek. It means vomit you. Now, how many know there's a difference between spit and vomit? Anybody know? There, please, only three of you know that. Okay. When you spit, you just spit some out of your mouth. When you vomit, it's upsetting you, and you're going to throw that thing up, right? You're going to expel it, get rid of it. Hopefully, you'll feel better. So when Jesus used the word, I'll vomit you out, in other words, he's describing something that's very upsetting to his stomach, okay? That's what he's saying. He says, here's why. Because you, Laodicean church Christian people, you say, I'm rich, and I've become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Whoa, what a contrast from what they think they are to what they really are. Here says, I'm going to give you some advice. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich, in other words, because you're not really rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. That's interesting. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. If you love your kids, don't you reprove and discipline them? Because you want them to grow up to be responsible people in society. Correct? Correct? But nowadays in school, they're not teaching character anymore, are they? They're teaching everybody's bad, the country's bad, this is it. They've got it all backwards, guys. It will only breed a next generation worse than this generation because they will not grow up with character qualities of a good, healthy, sound citizen of the United States. Amen? I got, where, I got, where am I? I mean, I was so on that one right there. Um, oh, therefore, be zealous and repent. Now watch what he says in verse 20 about himself and the church here. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Now let me throw some comments out there. Jesus begins by saying that he's faithful. But contrasted to that, he is saying that this local church body in Laodicea, they're not faithful. He said, I'm faithful, but you are not faithful. He's telling them, you guys, you're lukewarm. I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. At least, you know, people know where you stand at. Make a decision, but you're lukewarm. He says, because that, I, I, I'm going I'm to vomit you out of my mouth. Now, that's not a loss of salvation. But it does mean something very clearly. It's a heavy statement. What the problem is in these people's lives, the root, the root problem, the foundational problem is they are self-satisfied. Because in verse 70 at the beginning, he says, you become wealthy, you don't need anything, including God. Even though you say you're Christian, you don't live like you need God. So you're self-satisfied. And how many know the self-satisfied person will never be driven to God because they don't need anybody, Right? And that's what he's saying to these people here. He's telling them, you got comfortable, and that's where you're at. But then at the second part of verse 17, what you don't realize, you think you got it together, you think you're this and that, but you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. In other words, you're a spiritual mess. You're just a spiritual mess is what he's telling these people. And then he gives them the antidote. Repent. Now, I know repentant, the word conjures up the idea of some preacher of going, repent, you sinner. That's not, what, that's not what it's about. Because Jesus would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You know what the word repent literally means? It's very simple. Metanoia in the Greek, it means to change your mind. And that's what it means. It means you change your mind. That once these scriptures start to grab you, and it starts to change your thinking, you change your mind... You have Christ in you as a follower of Christ. The Spirit's in you. You have the power to make the decisions now to change what your mind is telling you to change because you and I cannot change our lives. How many have recognized that one so far? 
We need the Spirit of God to be able to help us change our lives. And that's it right there. Now, so he's just saying, change, change your mind. Start going this different path. He says, but when, a couple things catch my eye. He calls them blind. You got to really think about what he's saying. He's saying that there are some church people that are spiritually blind. Is that crazy or what? Jesus in Matthew 6, he says, he's talking about clarity of eye and light and darkness. He says, if the light that is in you is darkness, oh, how great the darkness. Let me, let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, look, that you and I as a follower of Christ, we can sit there and say, I'm walking in light, but that might really be darkness contrary to scripture and if I think that light is darkness and I walk in that that's some pretty big darkness because I'm self-deceived and here he's saying you're blind a spiritual person a follower of Christ can be blind now let's widen it out because Jesus is um, if you never read any background on these stories and what's the the um, what the city's like, what's going on there, what the terrain's like geographically. Uh, you will not know that Jesus is using things around them that they know about that really illuminates what he's saying to them. So, for instance, this was a very wealthy city, and they would export this ISAB for eyes all, all over the place. They export it everywhere. And so he's saying, just like you have this ISAB to heal your eyes, saying, I need you, I want your eyes to be healed up. I want you to open up your eyes. But open in what? That you're lukewarm. That you're absolutely lukewarm. Now, they, when he says lukewarm to these people, they know exactly something visual that they experience every day. They know every day. Because this church in Laodicea, these people in the city of Laodicea, their water came from a very hot, hot spring six miles away. It would come on an aqueduct. But by the time it would travel six miles to, and arrive in Laodicea, the water was no longer burning hot. The water was lukewarm. And it was a very unappealing, unappetizing lukewarm. What's Jesus telling him? I think it's pretty clear. He's saying that when we live in a lukewarm type faith, it's a very unappetizing thing. Who would even want that? Who would look at our life and say, well, boy, I want to live for that because you're lukewarm. But I think even deeper down, if we drill down even further, I think here's what he's saying. If you think about it geographically, you live here, this is where you dwell, this is where the lukewarm warm water is, but if you go six miles that way and follow the aqueduct, you'll go to the source where the water's hot. In other words, he's using that distance and illustration to say, you are far from God right now in the way you're living. Get back to the source. Get back to the water's hot. Get back to where you were active. Get back to that and quit living in this lukewarm state. Get back to the source. That's what he's telling them. And I think he's telling a lot of people that too. I think he's telling some of us in the room, some of us watching online, get back to the source. Get back to where the water's hot. Don't live in this self-satisfied Christianity that's not going to impress anyone. But here's what really gets me. You find in verse 20 that he stands at the door and he knocks on the church, on the hearts of these people. What's, what's happening? What, what's going on here? Well, in this body that says, I'm self-satisfied, only Jesus, I'm far from the hot, from hot, you know, from the source. Jesus is pictured by himself, Jesus, as being an outsider to that local body. Isn't that crazy? That Jesus could be an outsider in our lives? But that's what he's pictured at. That's Jesus saying that to them. And they're complacent. So we cannot get complacent in our faith. We can never get complacent in our faith. So with that said, we'll go to point two. What do we do? Well, you've got to kickstart yourself back into active duty. You've got to kickstart it. Now, <clears throat> we've got to get back to the 
follow me and we drop everything and follow. We prioritize Jesus as number one in our life. Now let's go back to Matthew 16, 18 and now I'll widen out a little bit more some things from this verse that I have not told you the first three weeks. But Matthew 16, 18 says this. I say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I've given you all the basics of that verse, but now let me show you geographically, terrain-wise, what's going on here. Image, please. Now that's in northern Israel. Um, oh, go back real quick. You moved, I know I told you to move it fast, but that was my fault. Uh, th- oh, there's my hand again. Huh? Oh my gosh. I don't want to go into that comedy routine again. again. Like last, no, <laughs> last week was enough. Um, but see that bigger cave there on the left side? That's um, that's in, in an area, it's, and I'll tell you, it's called the Gate of Hell. That's in Caesarea Philippi on the north side of Israel. Not to be confused, Caesarea on the coast. Some of you have been there, some of you have been there with me. Um, it's a beautiful area as you walk up to it, there's flowing water. Um, it was. Um, it was once called uh, Bania, I think, and then Alexander the Great conquered and he changed it to Philippi after his father, Philip the Macedon. But, now, no, I'm sorry, next slide, please. But this cave here, the gate of hell, it's at the base of Mount Hermon, this big cave. And this is where the beginnings of the Jordan River begin. Okay, you could take that slide off the screen, please. Um, it's the beginning of the Jordan River. It's where the water begins to flow and the Jordan River flows all the way through the valley there in Israel to the Sea of Galilee, then comes out the other side, keeps flowing down into the Dead Sea. So this is where the water begins. Now, let me tell you what's going on. It's called the Gate of Hell in that day. Why? Because it was considered the Mountain of Baal. Baal's an Old Testament false god. You'll see him all all through the Old Testament. When Alexander the Great comes along and he conquers, he he changes things and he installs his god, Pan. Now they have Pan worship. You know, Pan, goat legs, male body, horns, kind of like got this mischievous, seductive look to his face. We get our word panic from it. And, And Pan, among other things, he would cause people to flee in a real unreasonable fear. Fear was a great tactic of this false idol, Pan. The cave. The cave um, was filled with water back then, uh, and they believed that that water, it was, a, it was a bottomless, bottomless pit of water. But, they also believed that the false gods or spirits lived inside this place. Pan, etc., and that they could bring them out, they could conjure them out, bring them out and release them by practicing in this area prostitution and bestiality. Now when you put all that together and Jesus brings his 12 disciples to this very spot and he says, you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Think of where Jesus just brought him to. He brought him to a red light district because all kinds of immoral sexual stuff was going on there. He brought him to a place where there was idolatry central. He brought them to the gates of hell. And he's trying to get a point across to his followers. This is not going to be a picnic. This is not for the faint at heart. This is for the people who become disciples and you go after it and you drive back the gates of hell. You come together as a giant slab. You come together as a movement because this is what it's all about. Hell's going to push hard and it's going to push harder. It's pushed hard at every generation, guys. Every year of time, it's pushed hard. What we see now is a replication of things that have happened in the past. Satan has no new plans. But in the midst of all of it, you've got to remember that every person is valuable to God. Are they not? And God loves everybody, and God came to save every last person out there, even the ones you don't like. 
But hell can't win if we come together in active duty as a body of Christ and storm the gates of hell. Now, I've said all these things three weeks. This is the fourth week to come to this moment right now. Here's the truth. Here's reality. Here at the Norco campus of New Beginnings, after the pandemic, we are averaging about 40-45% of people here in the congregation of what we averaged before the pandemic. We're not in three services. We used to be in three. People have asked, are we going to go to three services? We can't. And I'll tell you why in a second. I'll tell you why now. People haven't come back. Many people watch online. That's it. We have a pretty good sized audience online but we've lost our volunteer base now I'm very thankful that during the pandemic when some churches were closing our, our, our tithing actually went up that's something and it's gone a little bit higher this year so I thank you those of you who are, know that Jesus is Lord and you tithe he's your Lord thank you I appreciate that but we don't have the volunteers that we once had. And, and so that creates a big, big problem. You know, uh, on July 4th, when I said we're going to move our service from Sunday to Saturday, remember that? And just have one service? That was not because I thought it was the greatest idea. That was because necessity. I couldn't put our children's directors under pressure. They're already operating the skeleton crews because volunteers haven't come back. And then on a weekend when so many people are gone or on vacation are just going to spend the whole day at the beach or whatever to try to get there, they would just been themselves out there going nuts. So I, I moved it for this. It was just, it made sense. And so that's why I did that. I didn't want to put pressure on them. Now, <clears throat> I appreciate, you know, that people are watching and giving, but I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Did he? They shut us up. They distance us. They smeared fear all over us. And here's the result. It's a brilliant strategy. We're blessed as a church. We have four campuses. We have Norco, Harupa, Av in Riverside, Zacatecas in Mexico. Plus, we have a Spanish church here in this campus and one at Harupa. So we're blessed. But I've come to a reality. I was frustrated for a, a long time. But I finally, I don't know, three, four months ago, I finally said to myself, okay, this is where it is, this is what it is. And I realized this is where we start over. This is what it is. The rest aren't coming back. This is what it is. I started over, I started over before. I've done this before. In fact, I started from nothing before. Because those of you who don't know this, this new beginnings began 29 and a half years ago out of my house. There was no land. There were no buildings. There was no Harupa. There was no Ab. There was no Zacatecas. There was nothing like that. There was no feeding ministry outside after the service. or There was nothing. It was just an idea God put in this little Mexican guy's mind. Go do this. Okay. So I've started from scratch before. But I look at it now like, okay, we're going to start over right here with who's here. This is what it is now. But we cannot continue without volunteers and servants. It's just, it's not going to happen. We just can't do it. So this has to change. We've got to come together as a giant slab, rock, followers of Christ, the church, a movement to come together to push back the gates of hell. We, we need people in every department. I mean everywhere. Because people just didn't come back. And we're not the only <laughs> fellowship going through this. Give me a, I'll give you an observation. 
Some of you heard of Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche. He's the one who coined the phrase uh, back in the 1800s, um, God is dead. That was his big phrase, God is dead. He was an atheist. By the way, when an atheist tells you there is no God, ask, him, ask them, can you give me evidence for that? They can't. But he said, they're, they're, God is dead. But let me tell you what else he said. Because he is very, he saw it. He said, but when a, if a society decides to reject the morals and the values of Scripture and change them, that society will begin to decline, erode, fall apart because people now have made themselves God in a sense and they're writing their own rules and laws. Which is what's happening now. 245 years into America, this is what's happening now. And don't pretend like your guy isn't doing it either. We're turning into a godless nation. But here's what gets me. As Christians, some of us, we look at these things and it angers us. Why, why are they doing They're changing our values and our laws and they're writing it the way they want to live it and it's changing everything. Okay. But here is my thought. We sit back and complain about them rewriting the values of God. But how about us? We don't ever share our faith. I don't come together in fellowship. I don't give anything. I'm not serving anywhere. Well, haven't you made yourself God? Haven't you rewritten the rules then? See, we're no different than the people out there that we complain about because we rewrite the rules to make it fit to ourselves. We create God in our image instead of being created in the image of God and follow what he says. The church will die if we let it die because of us. <clears throat> so here's what I'm going to do. Here's what we've come to. We, we, we need servants. We need volunteers. If we're going to take this next wave for the next so many years and just drive back the gates of hell, we, ju we just need active servants. So you all have a card. It's on your chair. Don't burn it. We've got to take up positions. We've got to get active. We've got to be disciples. We've broken it down into four areas of serving. The top left is people-oriented. You're friendly. You're vocal. You're observant. The Ask Me, the Usher, the Greeter team, this is a great place for you. Now, if you're not friendly, don't join there. <laughs> because people will never come back to church, okay? Because you know, you'd be like, you want to sit down somewhere? No, I'm just... Hey, I have a question. Don't ask me. No. <laughs> That's good for you right there if you're that way. Hands on. You're friendly, available, team-oriented, willing. Blend coffee shop. And by the way, blend people, what do I tell you guys all the time? You're not making coffee. You're changing, you're changing lives. <laughs> Everywhere you serve at, you're not doing that. You're changing lives. You're part of this whole deal. Campus care, handyman, community outreach, Event execution, execution team. And then bottom left is technical. Your focus, your collaborative, flexible skills. Things like the worship team. AV production, see the cameraman up here too? Cameraman, production team in there. We need people helping out. They're in the computers, they're putting the slides up that you get to enjoy. They're running the lights, they're changing things, they're communicating with the cameraman up on stage, this and that. Videography, online communication. And then next gen, bottom right, you're energetic, passionate, relational, teachable. Kidsmen. Youth ministry is our student ministry led by Robert now who is the host. Kids care. But these are areas. We need help. We, we are not going to continue with these skeletal teams. We just need help. So here's what you do. And I, I'm not going to beg you. I think if you follow Jesus, I think that should be enough to get you going.
you have those QR codes behind the seat. You could, you know, put your phone on there. It'll QR code. It'll come up to the Go Serve tab. There'll be an application there for you to fill out. Or if you're older, like me, and you'd rather get a paper application, <laughs> you can go to the Connect Center, okay? <laughs> I mean, we have a problem, my wife and I, when, when, you know, Ralph, when we go to Chili's and see you there every time, okay, you and Jane, when they bring that thing out to pay that little thing on the table, we don't know what we're doing, okay? <laughs> Anybody know what I mean? Okay, right? Right? Why do they do that to us? It's a conspiracy. Or you can, you can go to the Connect Center and get the paper application. What you're interested in. Fill out what you're interested in. Now, I will tell you that we have to, we require background checks because no one's going to be around our kids' ministry without a background check. We protect our kids. Why do you think we have those really nice, cool bars and fencing up now? We're going to protect our kids. And, uh, and, but you can serve in other areas. You can't get around money if there's anything in the background like that too. But you can serve in other areas. But everybody's required for this. Everybody. But we need you. Because we're just not going to be able to do this because there's 55% of the people. They're not coming back. At least that's what we're hearing now. And so we need help. So you do that. Do that today and help us out. Now, whenever I finish a message, <clears throat> I always kind of um, struggle. How do I finish this? How do I put this together? What, what do I do? Especially when you finish a whole series. It's like, how do I finish this thing? Well, I'm sitting there struggling with this, and I type these up three weeks in advance. So I'm already two weeks done on the next series. Heading a third message I'll type this week, but um, I didn't know how to finish this. And then I'm sitting there one day and I'm watching Jaws. <laughs> they laugh. If you're new, you know why. You don't know why they're laughing because they know I like movies and I'm a movie guy. But I'm watching Jaws, and I went to Martha's Vineyard four or five years ago because I wanted to go stand where they were, and I wanted to be on that bridge where the shark came in. I want to do all that, and, you know, I, I just wanted to. <laughs> and so, um, there's that scene where a young, a young boy was killed by the shark. Jaws got him, killed him, and everybody's screaming, running in the water. So all these crazy fishermen go out to try to catch the shark because she offers a $3,000 bounty, whoever catches that, kills that shark. So one day, somebody catches this big shark. It's a big shark. And everybody's happy. Chief Brody's happy. And old um, Richard Dreyfus Hooper, comes, and he starts measuring them out. Remember that scene? No, do you remember? Yeah. You remember. You know that movie was like 46 years ago? I saw that at the theater. <laughs> I'll never forget walking up in the back of the old U.A. cinema at Tyler Mall, back when it was Tyler Mall, before they tore it down, and we asked somebody, how was it? I'll never forget the guy said, you better take a change of underwear. <laughs> I, 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 always, I, I remember that. <laughs> remember when the head pops up? <gasps> you know. But, but they catch a shark, and, and Hooper says, it's not the shark. It's got the wrong bite radius. And they're arguing there, and then this car pulls up. And this lady steps out, and she's dressed all in black, and it's the mother of the boy that was killed in the water by the shark. She comes up to Chief Brody, and she slaps him without saying a thing. And then she says, I won't go into the full dialogue, but she says basically this. There was a shark out there. And you knew. And you did nothing about it. My boy is dead. I just wanted you to know that. And she walks off. The mayor of the city of Amityville says to Chief Brody, it's not your fault. And Chief Brody says, yeah, it is. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. See, guys, 
There is a shark out there. His name is Satan. He's got a bunch of demons. He doesn't have any power over you. You're a follower of Christ. But he is the God of this world. And he prowls around, seeking to devour people. Take as many people to hell as he can. And we know it. And we know it. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? See, I don't think we live in a day anymore where it can be Christianity as usual. I think we've got to up our game. We've got to get back to the source where the water's hot. We're hot again. We're fired up. Filled up. We walk to this world as followers of Christ because we carry the greatest message on the planet. The local church is the hope of the world and that's it. Nobody else has our message. Nobody else carries what we carry. We have the antidote. But there's a shark out there. And we know it. What are we going to do about it? We're going to come together. We're going to come back. What are we going to do? I think we have the great opportunity of our life now because I think people are going to begin to get very disgruntled with the way society is. And they're going to look for an answer, and we have the answer. His name is Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead. Amen. Stand up. Let's pray. God, I just pray we we take it to heart. We do something. Get involved, active duty. Because volunteer-wise, we're in skeleton crews. We're holding on for our life now. Those of you online, some of you didn't come back to volunteer, you need to rethink yourself now. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that the greatest days of new beginnings are still ahead of it. I pray for every church that teaches the truth of God's word in America, that the greatest days are still ahead of it, that we have the answer. In the midst of darkness, we have the answer, we have the light. But we have to do something about it. We have to come together as a movement forming a giant rock that the gates of hell backpedal against. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for the future. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco. Or email us at hello at nbcc.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.